Well, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to do a standalone sermon this Sunday, take a break from Ephesians in light of uh, celebrating the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, but it's a topic that we've been looking at in Ephesians. And so if you would turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'll read verses 16. Uh, through 18, but we'll focus in on verse 18. 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Father, would you open this word to us? Would you make it practical in our lives? Father, would you change us? For those of us who are in a rut in regards to our attitude, Father, would you give us the attitude of thanksgiving? Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to do something a little different this morning. This morning, by way of introduction, uh, I'm going to have Brandon play a video, and and then we'll continue. My son, tragic. I am trying to reconcile the death of my adult son, whom I believe not to be saved, with my Christian faith. How do I deal with my anger toward God in this long, dark night of the soul? Repent, and repent in dust and ashes. Crawl over glass in your repentance if you're angry at God. There's never been anything that's happened to you in your whole life, including this great tragedy and most painful experience that could ever possibly justify being angry at God. There are 10 million reasons why he should be angry at you. God does not owe us a life without pain and tragedy. He's given a life, us a life of grace and a promise of eternal felicity. And any being who does that for us 100% graciously can never righteously be the object of our anger. Only of our gratitude. We understand, humanly speaking, the, the anger, because if you experience anger, it's always caused by some kind of pain. Behind the anger is pain. And you've allowed that pain to produce an anger that will destroy you. And it has greater consequences than even the loss of the one that you love so well. So really, you've got to deal with this and understand that God does all things well. And if we were listening carefully to uh, Derek's sermon, where he talked about Genesis 18, 
and the plea for the sparing of Sodom. You know, the comment that Abram made, far be it from thee, O God, to do that which is not right. And even Abraham, our father, I don't think had a clue of how far it is from God to do anything wrong. And when we accuse him of it and are mad at him for it, then we don't understand who he is or who we are. So I'm, I'm, I couldn't be more, I just, it's, it's devastatingly harmful for anybody to be angry with God, no matter what. Preaching a sermon on Thanksgiving might sound at first thought, oh, this is nice, we're going to have a Thanksgiving sermon. Uh, but much like preaching on prayer, uh, when we think about our own hearts in regards to thankfulness, we discover real quickly that how convicting the subject is to think about in light of who God is, what He has done for us in Christ, and how often my heart grumbles uh, against God. And uh, But what I want you to know, though this sermon will surely be convicting, what's at stake is God's glory and your joy. It really is. And so to the degree that you ask the Spirit to convict your own soul through the Word, is to the degree you can be conformed into the image of Christ in regards to thankfulness. You know, when I think of uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and all the things love does, love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. But then Paul says, it is not irritable. you ever want to think about how amazing it is that Christ never sinned? Christ was never irritable. And so, remembering last week and putting on the righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, crawling into Christ, our righteousness is our only hope. You're going to have to remember that especially as we look in and see how often we find ourselves falling short of thankful uh, hearts. One of the, whenever I think of this topic, surely many of you have heard this, the story of Corey Timboom and the hiding place. Uh, but I can't think of this topic without thinking about the story of the fleas. And so I just want to read that to you at the beginning. And, uh, and just pray that uh, both Corey and her sister Betsy's faith would challenge you and encourage you. <clears throat> 
So uh, Betsy and Corey Tenboom spent time in notorious Ravensbrück concentration camp in north, uh, north of Berlin uh, for hiding Jews in their home. Uh, they were watchmakers by trade and uh, they lived right there above their shop and they would hide Jews as they were uh, being uh, captured. And so they find themselves in the concentration camp. And uh, the chapter called Barracks 28, I just want to pick up here. And this is Corey writing. Um, we lay back, struggling against the nausea that swept over us from the reeking straw. Suddenly I sat up, striking my head on the cross slats above. Something pitched my leg. Fleas, I cried. Betsy, the place is swarming with them. Here, are, and, and here's another one I wailed. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Show us. Show us how. It was said so matter-of-factly, it took me a second to realize that she was praying. More and more, the distinction between prayer and the rest of life seemed to be vanishing for Betsy. Corey, she said excitedly, he has given us the answer. Before we asked, he always does. In the Bible this morning, where was it? Read that part again. I glanced down the long dim aisle to make sure no guard was in sight, then drew the Bible from its pouch. It was in 1 Thessalonians, I said. We were on our third complete reading of the New Testament since leaving Shevingen. In the feeble light, I turned the pages. Here it is. Comfort the frightened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. It seemed expressly written to Ravensbrook. Go on, said Betsy. That wasn't all. Oh, yes. Rejoice always. Pray continue constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstance. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her. Then around me at the dark, fouled room. Such as I said, such as being assigned here together. I bent my lip. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. Such is what you're holding in your hands. I looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all these women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, said Betsy. Thank you for the very crowding here. Since we're packed so close, then many more will hear. She looked at me expectantly. Corey, she brought it. Oh, all right. 
Thank you for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thankful for fleas. Thank you, Betsy went on serenely, for the fleas. For for the fleas. This was too much. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are a part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between the tiers of the bunks and gave thanks for fleas. But this time, I was sure Betsy was wrong. There on the Lagerstrasse, we were under rigid surveillance. Guards in their warm wool capes marching constantly up and down. It was the same in the center room of the barracks. Half a dozen guards or camp police always present. Yet in the large dormitory room, there was almost no supervision at all. We did not understand it. One evening, I got back to the barracks late from a wood gathering foray outside the walls. A light snow lay on the ground, and it was hard to find the sticks and twigs with which a small stove was kept going in each room. Betsy was waiting there for me, as always, so that we could wait through the food line together. Her eyes were twinkling. You're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself, I told her. You know, we never understood why we had so much freedom in the big room, she said. Well, I found out that afternoon, she said, there had been confusion in her knitting group about sock sizes, and they asked the supervisor to come and settle it, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't step foot through the door, neither would the guards. You know why, Betsy? Or you know why? Betsy could not keep the triumph from her voice. Because of the fleas. That's what she said. That place was crawling with fleas. My mind rushed back to our first hour in this place. I remember Betsy's bowed head, remembered her thanks to God for the creatures I could see no use for. Barracks 28 at Ravensbrook was known as the crazy place where women have hope. And hope they had, a living hope, a hope in the midst of darkness, hope in the midst of persecution, hope in the midst of unmanageable, unimaginable evils. Many women in Barracks 28 knew and believed, as Corey put it, that there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. That's one account of a way two sisters in Christ read and understood the text that sits before us this morning. Isn't the command that we read, give thanks in all circumstances? Doesn't that seem extraordinary? Doesn't doesn't it seem unreasonable? 
when we read things like this in the Scripture? Do we take God at His word? Now, at the front end, I, I want to uh, say a couple of things to clarify so that throughout this message, your mind uh, doesn't stop yourself from leaning in. Here's, here's a couple of things I want to clarify. Giving thanks always isn't an act of denial. All right? Giving thanks always isn't pretending like things are better than they are. There is real suffering in a fallen world. There is real things to be sad about and cry about and be broken about. So don't hear Paul saying or me saying that you need to, in a sense, live in an alternate reality and deny what's really true. It isn't pretending like things are not hard or difficult. It doesn't mean that things in life aren't terribly sad. And it also doesn't mean that everything that happens in a fallen world is good. Not everything that happens in a fallen world is good in and of itself. But that even the bad things like sin and death, God hates them. That's why he promises to overcome sin and death. And ultimately do away with them when Christ returns. But even they, even sin and death, have been ordained by God to work together for the good of those who love God. It's just good for us to have these things in mind as we think of a topic as difficult as this. One of the quotes that uh, Laura, my wife, uh, had up for many years in, in her closet was an Elizabeth Elliot quote that says this, it's always possible to be thankful for what is given rather than to complain about what is not given. Let that sink in. It's always possible, possible to be thankful for what is given rather than to complain about what is not given. Now here's the sobering part of the quote. One or the other becomes a habit of life. There's no perfect people in this earth except Christ. But you can separate this earth between those who are fundamentally complainers and grumblers and those who are fundamentally thankful and grateful. And just because a Christian is a Christian doesn't mean that the habit of your life hasn't become that of complaining and grumbling. But the good news is this. Christ can change you. Christ, there's a promise that in fact, as Christians, we will be conformed more and more into the image of His own Son. 
So I hope you're leaning in expectantly. Even though it'll be hard to think through, to look at the text, to take them at their reality. Do you really believe that God can change you through his word, through the work of the spirit in your life? To bring about a type of gratefulness that Betsy had, that drove Corey nuts in the moment. You want me to thank God for fleece? And unwaveringly, she says, what does it say? What does the text say? So the charge of the message this morning is give thanks in all circumstances. Really simple. Give thanks in all circumstances. And I'm going to give you 10 reasons why. All right? 10 reasons why. A lot of scripture. We might not be able to go through all this scripture. Uh, but the first reason is found in the text we begin in. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Someone would say, so why should I give thanks in all circumstances? God's answer is, it's my will for your life in Christ Jesus. You know, as we think about Christ dying on our behalf, living a perfect life we could never live so that we could put on His righteousness, have our sin taken away, His righteousness put on. What other will could there be for those that have been clothed in such grace? but that we be thankful in all circumstances. Another Elizabeth Elliot quote, she says, thanksgiving is a spiritual exercise. It's not easy. Might sound like a fluffy word. It's difficult. She says, thanksgiving is a spiritual exercise necessary to building a healthy soul. If you want a healthy soul, if you want to have joy, you need to be doing the exercise of thanksgiving, this spiritual work. And then she says, the only disposition that is right for those in Christ Jesus is a heart of thanksgiving. That's the only disposition that is right. You know, I'm encouraged by Psalm 50. This is the text where God is telling Israel, you keep bringing these offerings before me. Don't you know the cattle are mine? The birds are mine. You're bringing me my stuff and offering it to me. And you in your mind think I'm hungry. If you want to bring something, he says, bring this. Psalm 50, verse 12. Well, he says, if I were hungry, I I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? Here's what he says to bring. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I'll deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Here's the good news. You want to know how you glorify God? 
you recognize that God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you to do whatever it is He's going to do, to recognize that and to say, but God, all things come from you. I'm, I need to be thankful to you for all things. And in the day of trouble, I have nowhere else to go but to you. That glorifies God. That glorifies God. That's God's will for us. The second reason why we ought to give thanks in all circumstances is this. It's reasonable. All right? You have your Bibles and you want to turn to Philippians 4. It's really similar to 1 Thessalonians. Remember in 1 Thessalonians 15, he says, don't repay evil for evil. Seek to do good to one another. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. We have the same sort of trend here. Here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Here's what I often say when I talk about this text. If you say that to the wrong person on the wrong day, you might get smacked, right? The Apostle Paul comes to someone and says, rejoice always in case you missed it. Again, I say rejoice. Someone might say, well, that's unreasonable. Read the next verse. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. Here's the reason why you ought to rejoice always. It's reasonable. It's not crazy. It's not absurd. It's not out of this world. It's not too much to ask. It's reasonable. And why is it reasonable? Here's what he says. The Lord is at hand. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Well, that's not reasonable. Some things are difficult in this world. Yeah, but as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you'll fear no evil. Why? Why does a person not fear evil in the valley of the shadow of death? Because the Lord is with us. Well, what's the greatest thing you have? The Lord. Which means Paul doesn't bat an eye when he says, Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Because though Jesus hung on the cross and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And died under the wrath of God, Christian, you never will. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Yes, on the worst day of your life, as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the best thing in the universe will not be taken from you. And that is the presence of God. And then he says, do not be anxious about anything. To which we say, <laughs> anxiety is a human emotion. Well, that, that's true. That's true. Well, everyone struggles with anxiety. Well, that's true. So what does that mean? That means we need to hear what God tells us about it. He doesn't say, don't worry about it. Don't worry about your anxiety. It's no big deal. Everyone has it. 
But rather what he says, I love how practical the Bible is. He says, rather than be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will will, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we need to be thankful in all circumstances because the Lord is with us in all circumstances. And he's with us as a father who is for us. That even the hard circumstances are ordained by God for our own good. All right, the third reason. You ought to be thankful in all circumstances is because you are able to be thankful always since you can be filled with the Spirit. You can be thankful. You can be so full of the Spirit in faith that in a difficult circumstance, you actually can pray a prayer of sincerity thanking God for the trial. Uh, We've already looked at this in Ephesians 5, verse 18. What does he say? He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This isn't talking about getting the Holy Spirit when you're saved. This is talking about walking in step with the Spirit so that He's taking over your life as you attach to the Spirit's leading in the Word by faith, all right? So He says, be filled with the Spirit. And then what are we supposed to do as we're walking with the Spirit, addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. This is a worshipful heart towards God. And then, verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See that? So he says, be filled with the Spirit. Worship God in your heart. Be thankful always and for everything. Then he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Those three things. But the reason why the Apostle Paul isn't afraid to ask you to be thankful in all circumstances is because he knows that you have power living inside you that is foreign from you. You're weak in and of yourself. You can't do anything but grumble. But the mind of Christ can be given to you in the Spirit. Your faith can grow. And you can have the ability to do it. I'm perfectly Before Christ returns, yes. But sincerely, you can. So reason number four, that we ought to be thankful in all circumstances, is that God is good and He is sovereign over all things. He's sovereign over all those circumstances. Do you realize that? All of them. Here's what Job said in Job 2.9. After he lost 
all of his possessions, and he lost his children, and now his body is racked with sores. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. I don't know. What she says sounds reasonable, doesn't it? In light of what happened, it doesn't sound that unreasonable. But for Job, he says, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. And then what does Job say? Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Incredible faith Job had. Now Job, given some buddies that continually are like dripping rain, questioning him over and over, Job sins. Job begins to doubt the justice of God. But God is good. Job was right when he said that. God is sovereign even over the difficult things. Isaiah 45, let me just read to you about eight verses, beginning in verse 5. God says, I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know me, from the rising of the sun from the west, that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, there is no other. And then here's how he describes himself. He says, I form light. The Hebrew word yoser. I yoser light. I form light and create darkness. That's barah. Forming is the weaker word. Creating is the stronger word. It's the same word that is used of God creating in the beginning. And Isaiah surprisingly says, I form light. That's the lesser word. I create darkness. That's the stronger word. What are we tempted to think? God's sovereign over the good things that happen. But is he really sovereign over the difficult things that happen? Isaiah is putting highlight that he's even sovereign over the darkness. And then he says this, I make well-being, that's that lesser word, and create calamity. That's the stronger word. I am the Lord that does all these things. So you, you, see, you see why it's sinful to grumble or complain about circumstances? Who's ordained the circumstances? God has. Who are you grumbling against? You're grumbling against the Lord. I'll never forgive my biblical uh, uh, masculinity professor saying, in my house, we don't complain about the weather. The reason why we don't complain about the weather is because God controls the weather. Well, that's convicting living in South Dakota. As South Dakotans, we don't know how to start a conversation without complaining against the weather. Complaining about the weather, right? 
How's it going? Oh, it's a nice day today, but you see next week? Oh, it's coming. You know? Man, look where we live. Why do we stay here? Must be under the judgment of God. You know, that's, that's what we're saying. In one sense, it, it's funny because we all relate to it. We do this. Even knowing I'm going to say this, I heard some of you doing it this morning. Out, out in the foyer. But in reality, he's saying, men, in your home, you set the ethos of the home. And if you complain about the weather, you teach your children to be grumblers against God. To be complainers against God. At the end of the day, God is in control of the weather. And then he says, Continuing on in Isaiah 45, he says, uh, Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open, that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthly pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or your work has no handles? Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, the one who formed him, ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? I've made the heavens and the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens. I've commanded all their hosts. So what is our grumbling? Our grumbling is really, and complaining, what what are we failing to remember? We're failing to remember that God is sovereign. We're failing to remember that even life in a fallen world is shaped and ordained by God to conform us into His image to work good on our behalf. Number five, the reason why we ought to be thankful in all circumstances is because God doesn't owe us good things. God doesn't owe us an easy life. You realize that? What's the premise of every complaint? I don't deserve this, right? But that's logically what grumbling and complaining is a lack of thankfulness is the idea that I have a right to something that's being withheld from me. Think of that in regards to the weather. What's your plea to God for why He owes you easy weather? What would you point to in and of yourself? See, we know this if we think about it. God actually does owe us something, Romans 6.23 for the wages of sin is death. What are wages? Wages are what you're owed. If your employer comes to you and says, oh, I got a gift for you. You slaved all week for your employer and your employer says, oh, I'm going to do something great for you today. I'm going to give you your wages. You're going to be offended and say, well, thank you. I happen to work for those. Well, what God owes us, wages are what you're owed. They're not a gift. 
And Paul makes clear in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. That's hell. Separation from the goodness of God forever, for all eternity. That's what we're owed. That's what our rights get us. But the second half of the verse, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, the passage that Scott read earlier in Lamentations 3, in verse 37 through 39, he says, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. All your circumstances are under God's sovereign hand. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? Right? What right would we argue from? God doesn't owe us an easy life. God has not promised us of life, number six, in this world free from suffering before he returns. We will have a life free from suffering for all eternity after Christ comes. That's the amazing grace. But until then, here's what Jesus promised. John 6, 16, 33. I said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. See, how does Satan come? Satan comes and he wants us to doubt God's goodness. And what does he say? He says, look at your circumstances. Look how difficult things are. They're so hard right now. How can you believe God is good in light of these circumstances? Well, where did it, God ever tell us that he promised an easy life before Christ returns? In fact, he said, if the world hates me, they're going to hate you. And he says, I've spoken these things that in me you may have peace, for in the world you will have tribulation. That's what God has promised. Your difficult circumstances is not proof that God is not good, that God does not keep his promises. It's actually evidence that God does speak the truth to us. He's promised us suffering that comes first, and glory that'll come later. That's what he told us. So a big part of unthankfulness is unbiblical expectations. That I'm owed this, or that if God's good, bad things wouldn't happen to me. Acts 14.22, Paul says, it says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribu tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. How are you going to enter the kingdom of God? Through many tribulations. That's how you're going to enter. If you think otherwise, you've been fooled. It's through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God. Reason number seven. There's no meaningless suffering, but all of it works for our good, all right? The reason why we can be thankful, even in difficult circumstances, is there's never a difficult circumstance that's meaningless. Real quickly, a few verses. 
1 Corinthians 15, 56. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's not meaningless. Our 2 Corinthians 4.16, so we do not lose heart, though our outward self is wasting away, our inward self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction, all right, two adjectives given on our affliction. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And if you believe that in the trial, in the midst of the trial, you can actually preach to yourself. As I trust in God by faith in this trial, this trial is not only not meaningless, it means more glory for all eternity in the future. See, that's how you can be thankful even for the most difficult days. He says a similar thing in Romans 8.18. He says, we do not look to the things that are seen. I mean, he says, for consider, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy with comparing or with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let me, let me read that again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed on. It's a scale illustration. You don't take a brick and put it on a scale and say, I wonder what's heavier, the feather or the brick? And what he's saying is I take the present suffering and if I put it on one side of the scale, it's light. It's silly. It's not worth complaining about the glory that's going to come. And if I know the glory is going to come, and it comes on the day of Christ Jesus when we see the culmination of our salvation in Christ. Then we can be thankful now, even in the midst of it. There is no meaningless suffering. Let me read. Joni Erickson Tata, I know we got to fly here. It's, it's too good. If someone has reason to complain, you would think it might be her. Having been paralyzed in a diving accident at age 17 and living in a wheelchair for a decade, she envisions herself someday in heaven thanking Jesus for her wheelchair. I hope I can take my wheelchair to heaven with me. I know that's not biblically correct, but if I were able, I would have my wheelchair up in heaven right next to me when God gives me my brand new glorified body and I will then turn to Jesus and say, Lord, do you see that wheelchair right there? Well, you were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that wheelchair was a lot of trouble. But Jesus, the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered myself to be. So thank you for what you did in my life through that wheelchair. 
not meaningless. Reason eight, we're called to be content. Paul, the crazy man that he was, he was actually reasonable. He just seems crazy to us as he's filled with the Spirit. What does he say? He says, for the sake of Christ then, I'm content with weakness. He's talking about contentment. I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You want to know who's thankful? Contented people can be grateful. And he says, I'm contented in those difficult things. He says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 8, if we have food and clothing with these, we'll be content. That's convicting to me. He doesn't even say shelter there. But then again, the Son of Man didn't even have a place to lay his head, right? The foxes and the birds had a better home than Christ. Hebrews 13.5 says this, Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Why should you be content with what you have? The reason given, the writer of Hebrews says, Christ says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. The best thing will never be taken from you. Philippians 4.11, he says, I'm, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Which means he's learned how to be thankful in all circumstances. Number nine, we don't have time to dive into it. God hates grumbling, right? You've read the Old Testament. Israel's wandering in the wilderness. You have this Korah, sons of Korah. You have Dathan and Eliab. They say, you know what? Aaron and Moses, they just want to be princes. They just want the power and the authority. They're lording this over us. We're all holy. Why can't we go and be priests? What does God do? God opens up the earth and swallows them. Right there. The 250 chiefs that stood with them, that brought their censers, thinking they could worship God without being called to come into His presence like a priest could. What happened? Fire devoured them. And you want to know what the people of Israel did on that day? They grumbled and said, Moses and Aaron is killing the people of Israel. So then God gives them a plague. And then Moses says, Aaron, run with your censer in the midst of the congregation to atone for them, and he does it, and the plague stops. You know how many died on that day? 14,700 people. Why? Because God hates grumbling. He hates grumbling. He hates complaining. It's a shaking of a fist in the face of his goodness and his sovereignty. And they're just barely past all the miraculous salvation they've received in, out of Egypt. Be thankful in all circumstances. God hates grumbling. He loves faith. 
You don't have to understand the whys to all your sufferings. He just wants you to believe my ways are higher than your ways. I'm good. I'm your father. You don't have to figure out how all the dots of your life connect with all your suffering. You can know it has meaning, even though if you won't ever understand it. But what comfort there is to remember that. The final one, be thankful in all circumstances, in every circumstance, because our entire life is lived out of grace. You realize that? You would be dead if it wasn't for grace. <laughs> Your entire life is lived out of grace. It's true for a non-believer too. If they're alive right now, that's because of common grace. But for us as Christians, who have an inheritance that is undefiled, kept in heaven for, for us, and that by God's power, our faith is going to be strengthened until that day. All the promises are guaranteed to us. Christian, your entire life is out of grace. So let's strive to take God's word serious. If the habit of your life has become one of complaining, I just challenge you to pray that God would have mercy that he would make you more like Christ. I want to end with one last devotional that uh, Johnny Erickson Tata wrote in the midst of COVID when everything was raging, 2021. I just thought this was powerful. Here's what she wrote. She says, it's an alarming when God's people feel they have a right to complain, a right to slander the very leaders that Paul tells us to respect and pray for in 1 Timothy 2. He even tells us to pray with thanksgiving. And all the controversy surrounding the vaccine and this virus still lurks. We never stop to think that God is sovereign, that he is in control, and he wants us to be grateful for that. And so, not believing it, we grumble. And man, is that scary. This is fault finding. Or she says, and man, is that scary, this fault finding thing. It's really scary because of the book of Jude has some pretty serious things to say about it. Just listen to this, starting in verse 14 in Jude. It says, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness. And of all the defiant words, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And then she says, oh my goodness, wow. It's like he's talking about drug pushers or embezzlers or pedophiles. But no, it says this. These people, these ungodly people that God and his angels come to judge are grumblers and fault finders. BSV says malcontent. They're grumblers and they're the malcontent. She says, let that sink in. 
The word ungodly is used four times, count them. Four to describe not murderers, not adulterers, but grumblers and fault finders. It's a difficult season in our country right now, I'll admit it, she says. And your gripe might be justified, really. Wrongdoing might be going on that needs to be exposed. Now listen to her. But make sure that you do not slander. Make certain your concerns are legitimate and that you're not indulging in a complaining spirit. That's what she's asking us to look in. Examine your heart, she says. Are you voicing your complaints to the right people in the right way for the right reasons? Let God take a peek at your motives. Just make sure all is well, okay? And friend, I know these are hard words, but I just felt I had to share these things because Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's a hard command, but honestly, it's a good one because you don't want to find yourself in that group that Jude describes, right? That's right, she says. So that's the challenge. We can complain about things that are bad. They, they really can be bad. Are you talking to the right people about it? Are you slandering about it? Talking about how the world's going to hell in the handbasket? Is this your daily conversation? What spirit is in your heart? God's glory and your joy is at stake in this regard.